I'd be glad to give you one. Now, if you will take your handout you got when you came in and hold it up, make sure you got one. So you got, all right, turn it over to the side that has the sermon outline on it. Everybody looking at that where it says not everything is perfect? You see that? Yes or no? Thank you. I just want to make sure we're here. Well, guess what? Not everything is perfect because we ain't doing that. So you can take a Sharpie, although it's a great outline and you might want to read it, study it, and give you something to do during the week. This was Brother John's outline. I'm not Brother John. Much better looking. I heard that. Okay. I am filling in for the guy that was filling in for me. If you can figure that out, see me later. I was not supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be recuperating from my relaxing trip to Pittsburgh. Many of you know that I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. And so a buddy of mine called me a year ago. He said, I want you to pick a date, and we're going to go see the Cardinal play in Pittsburgh. He had a vendor up there he wanted to visit, a huge fan as well, and he wanted to see that stadium. He'd heard so much about the stadium. He, I mean, he called me a year ago. The schedule came out. I picked this date, figuring it wouldn't rain. It would be the weather. It was, the weather was fantastic. The Cardinals, awful. We went to five games. Now, a week ago, they were the best team in baseball. Number one offense, they were incredible. I go to see them play, and I don't believe in jinxes. I do believe, however, in Jonas, and apparently I'm one of those. So we go in on Monday, they lose. We go Tuesday to a doubleheader, they lose the first game. So, all right, we win the night game. The best pitcher in the world's pitching, we lose that one. We lose the next day. My buddy said, all right, if they lose Thursday, you're not going home. You're going to have to live in Pittsburgh. It's your fault. Letters, uh, Texas, I'm email. It's my fault. You cannot come back. So fortunately, they win Thursday night to go home. I'm sitting in an airport last Monday, me. I don't know how these things happen to me. So I get on the airplane, and of course I'm rocking my cardinal here because I'm excited to go to a team place. And here's what the guy says to me. I'm sitting here, my buddy's sitting, there's a gentleman right here. He going to see the cardinal play? And I started doing my best building ball, and I didn't do it. I said, yeah, yeah, we're going to Pittsburgh play a game. This guy starts talking. Now, we had to fly from Memphis, Charlotte, to get off and fly Charlotte, Pittsburgh. And he starts talking, he talks nonstop. I'm trying to, like, nonstop. And we're getting ready to, to uh, enter the approach and the land in Charlotte. And, he, and here's exactly what he said. Now, he's been talking to me for an hour, hour and a half, nonstop. He goes, and he's retired. And he was telling me his whole life. He looks at me. He says, you don't look too old to be retired. What do you do? So I, so I said, well, he goes, he goes, he said, what do you do? And when are you going to retire? And I, I looked at my buddy next to me and I said, I'm about to day, but... So I told him what I did, and I said, you know, as long as they'll have me, I'll keep doing it. And he turned. He didn't say another word. So I turned to I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, look, he died tonight. No. <laughs> but he had uh, his son, a writer, a blog, Orlando Magic, a really good job. And he was meeting his son in Charlotte, and he fly to Pittsburgh. We get to fly also from Charlotte. Why? I also saved a lady's life over there. I hate to brag, but. So we come out of the game. Now, this was a doubleheader on two, I believe. So it wasn't a split doubleheader. In other words, they played the game at 3 o'clock since that game was over. In other words, you bought a ticket to one, you got to see both. It was a deal. So we get in at 3 o'clock, we watch the game. They, 30 minutes later, the second game starts. We got people, they start drinking at 3 o'clock. And they go to one game, 30-minute break, and then they start drinking again. Well, it's now, we get through the second game. It's like 10.30. We go out to our rental car on the big parking lot. And my buddy won't wait around because he's dying and until kind of crowd from out to find our way back to where we're staying. It's me to find our way back and still be driving around. So I said, okay, we'll just hang out here. And I love to watch people. So we're just sitting there watching people go by. And because we have Cardinal gear on, you know, they, if you died tonight, you know where you turn it. Yet. So they're walking by and they're saying different things. And I look at the girl, the car next to the young lady, by herself, probably 30, young lady. She's got her seat all the way back. She ain't moving. She's passed out. She's not, so this is like 30 minutes. She hasn't moved. Her lights are. So I said to buddy, I'm going to go. She's all right. He goes, do not do this. You know how you are. Don't do this. I said, Scott, I've got this. I'm, I said, look at her. She goes, I think it's time. I think my GPS will go. I said, no, man, I'm, I, I, I would worry me all night if I don't go turn her lights off. I tell you, I'm going to walk on something else while you do that. 
So I go over, and I thought a window was down, but a clean window, so it was rolled up. So not only do I go over there, I now tap on the window and wake the young lady up. She, the part of the phrase, she, and she sits up. I said, man, I'm sorry, sorry to bother you. All right, your light's off. She's fumbling around, and I, now I've got my head inside the car trying to help her turn the lights off. Finally, we get the lights turned off. It's back, and I said, pardon me. No, I said, uh, you're not going to drive. Please tell me you're not going to drive. Matter of fact, why give me a phone call something? I was going to offer to take her, and I said, probably ought not to do that. So I said, give me a phone number. Let me call the husband, somebody to get you. She had no idea where she was going on. She said, no, I'm probably going to drive. I'm not going to drive. He's back. And you promise you're not going to drive. She's going to get me. And I, I turned and walked away. She's up. She looks at me. <laughs> I have that effect on women. I really do. And my buddy, by now, my buddy's come over. He's going to help. I said, I said, no, man, I got this. You're supposed to be born again. This, not, never mind. All right, turn to Colossians chapter 2 if you haven't done that already. So what we're going to do today, since I'm filling in for the guy that was filling in for me, we're going to pick up where we were last week. So if you have last week's outline in your Bible, you pull it out. If not, just hang on. We got it, we got it for you. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along in Colossians chapter 2. We've been looking at in our series about being free. John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And I told you, shared with you, the genesis of the series was, is that God's most encouraging thing for us as believers to understand, what does it mean that I'm set free by Jesus Christ? What does it mean, not only that I get to die and I'm free from the penalty of sin, and I get to go to heaven, and that, I mean, that's the ultimate Obvious is that I am free by Christ, free eternity. I will paradise with, with the church, with all the Old Testament saints. We will all be together eternity in Christ. But I really wanted to encourage you, and I, hopefully as we go through the process, that what it means to be free indeed right now, as you live your life on a daily basis as a believer in Jesus Christ, what does it mean that you are free? Not free from the penalty of sin. We talked about that. But free from the power of sin in your life right now. That it does not have to be your master. That you have a new master. That it's the Lord Jesus Christ. So this particular sermon, what we're looking at, is that you're free to reject. You're free to reject, as we've looked at already, other people's standards, external judgments, where they want you to look like them. Do that. Do you have to do this? You have to do that. We're free in Christ. What I really want to focus on, I want you to notice in Galatians chapter four. It's kind of where we ended up last week. Galatians chapter four. Get there on the screen. Even so, we writing Paul's writing to believers, primarily Jewish, not all Jewish, to a great extent. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, a child of God, you belong to him. You're, you're growing in your faith. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements which desire again to be in bondage? You observe days, months, and years. It's kind of where we left off last week. The idea that when you're set free by Christ, when you're saved, you're born again, you are his child, you're now beginning to grow and mature. And what he's saying is, and particularly the Jews really struggled with the legalism that was dumped on them by the Judaizer that would say to them, you're, yes, Jesus is a good thing. He is the Christ. You're saved. But you also need to keep the law. But you also need the Sabbath like this. But you also need to keep this and do this. And you got uh, uh, to pray this way and you got to look this way and you got to give like this. You got to fast this way. What Paul was wanting them to understand is why would you want to go backwards and, and put external judgments, whatever they might be, on you? You're free in Christ to live for Christ because you not living up to somebody's list and don't. How do you do this? And how do you do that? And how often do you do this? And why do you do it that way? That's the wrong way. You got to do it my way. You see, by nature, we're all legalists. Here's why. I want you to fit into my box. 
I want you to be what I think you ought to be. And what I should really want for you is what Christ wants. That you've been set free by Jesus Christ just like I have. And that you're free to be what God wants you to be in your unique personality, your uniqueness that makes you you. That God knew before the foundation of the world what you would be like. So he reaches down and he saves you. Not for you to be Randy, that would be stupid, look at me, but for you to be you in Christ. You have gifts that I don't have. You have unique qualities that I don't have. You have gifts that the person next to you doesn't have. You have unique qualities that the person next to you does not have. And that's why Paul spends so much time in his letters talking about the body of Christ and how the, the uh, arm needs the leg and the leg uh, need, might, might need uh, the back. And whatever you are in the body, you're important. You might be an armpit, many of those. Whatever you are, you might be a nose, probably what I am. You might, whatever you are, God says, I gave you a gift. I have a calling on your life. I want to work for you in a unique way. We joke about it many times. I look at folks on the stage behind me, like incredibly talented and very gifted. He does. I wish I could, wish I could play the guitar. Now, could I learn to play the guitar? I doubt it. Maybe, but I'm never going to be able to sing like that. I don't have that talent, but I can be stupid. I can't tell a joke. I can't say you self-deprecating humor to relax people so I can talk. To you. I can do what God called me to do. He gave me speaking gifts. I should use those for the body of Christ. So I want to move today to the next part. Number two, if you happen to have your outline, and next week I'll give it filled out. But the next thing, if you look up on the screen, we looked at verses 16 and 17, that we're free to reject those external judgments. Secondly, is that we're free, we're free to reject mysticism. mysticism. Look at verse 18. Chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. I want you to notice back, look at verse 16 for a moment. Look how it begins. Let no one judge you. You see that? So if you write in your Bible or whatever, in my study Bible, I highlighted two phrases here. Verse 16, let no one judge you. That's what we dealt with the last couple of weeks. Now verse 18, let no one cheat you. That's another way to do the exact same, get the exact same information across. Number one, he's saying, let no one judge you. Number two, what we're looking at now is let no one cheat you. Here's what I want you to notice. So freeing, pardon the pun, in Christ. When I'm born again and I'm set free, and remember, I want to emphasize it one more time, I am not saying you are free sin, okay? Clearly, Christians aren't. Shall we continue in sin that, that grace may abound? Romans 6, 1, Paul says, God forbid. My goal as a believer is to be sinless. I will not be until eternity, but that's what I want to be. So you're not set free to sin, but I am set free that, that my master is Jesus, not another person, not somebody else's organization, not whomever. It's the, the word of God and the person is Christ. So I'm not going to let someone judge me because I'm free. And that set free to be in love with Christ. That's my pastor. That's my passion. You'll just absolutely fall in love with you. But the second thing, and that's what's so important, said, let no one cheat you. Number one, don't let no one judge you. But number two, don't let anybody cheat you. But you're going to find out what he's talking about. Look at verse 18 again. Let no one cheat you of your reward. In other words, in, in literal Greek is there, don't let someone umpire against you or declare you unworthy of a prize, or in other words, disqualify you from your reward. Here's what he's saying. In context, he's already said, don't let, that, don't let someone dump something on you. What he's saying here now is don't let someone come along and tell you, rob you, cheat you, disqualify you, make you unworthy. The excitement, beauty, reward comes with 
You see, being a Christian is the high call you can have. You are an ambassador, Paul, and you are an ambassador for Christ. Given the ministry of reconciliation, word of reconciliation, to go out and share with a lost, desperate world, you know where they can find hope. You know where they can find You know where they can find joy. You know what the reward is. And not just the reward of going home, but the reward of right now, that every day as you face it, no matter how bad it might be in the moment, you have an eternal perspective and you're at peace. How many people would like to live their life at how many people would like to live their life joyful, even in tough circumstances? That's what's have that no one else has. And what he's saying here is, don't let these false teachers come along and rob you, disqualify you from enjoying your reward as a Christian right now. This idea of mysticism, what you're going to see in these two verses, is that, and you see it even today, is that these false teachers were coming along, and they were saying, good, Jesus, that's good. But he's only a part of what you need. There is this deeper spiritual experience that awaits you out there somewhere. That if you find in Jesus what you need at the moment, that's good. But you really need to seek this. You really need to go after this mystical experience. Find the light. One of the phrases they would use, find the light that's within you. Hear anybody use that phrase? Find the light that's within you. Another one was, find the oneness, the God that is in you. How many gods are there? There is one. A little bumper joked about this before. It said, two things are true. There is a God, and you ain't it. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, Paul told Timothy. What I need to seek is a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, not oneness with the universe. He created the universe. He's not part of it. He's God over it. And you are his child. We are his bride. We will rule together with him one day. We don't need to seek a mystical, spiritual experience. As a matter of fact, you even have theologians and, and preachers standing in pulpits teaching this very day that when you got saved, that was good. But you ain't got all the Holy Spirit you'll get. You can't find that in the Bible. If you can't find it in the Bible or it contradicts the word of God, it's not of God. You understand? Now, they're contradicting the word of God. That's not from God. Not every single thing is in the word of God, but there are principles applied to life. How much of, a Holy, of the Holy Spirit did you get when you got saved? It's a spirit. How much? You got it. There's not, you didn't get a little bit here and you get a deeper dose of it later. Now, you may not be fully surrendered to the working of the Holy Spirit in your life at this moment, and he wants to work more in your life, and you can say yes by confessing and agreeing with sin and dealing and surrendering further to who your God is as he works in your life. But you got, Peter put it this way in his first letter, first or second, I can't Peter, in one of his letters put it this way, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He said, you have like faith with us, us being the apostles. He said those that he was writing to, Peter wrote his epistles to, the faith that you have is the same faith that we have. In other words, your people say that person is really a saint of God. The Bible says if you're born again, you're a saint. I'm a saint. The person next to you is a saint. Every believer is a saint. There aren't some that are a whole lot better Christians than you. Maybe they're walking closer, but you have the, to be everything God wants you to be. So don't let someone come along and give you this mysticism that's going to raise you to this higher plane. The higher plane is a deeper walk with Christ, surrendering to what the Word of God teaches and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And notice how he puts this then. The first, first thing I want you to know, he says, let no one cheat you of your reward. Number one, taking delight in false humility. False humility. What the Greek's talking about here is ugly pride is what it means. And the idea of false humility is, look at me, look at me. What's genuine humility? And by the way, if you study the Bible closely, the only character attribute Jesus ever claimed to have was what? Humility. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's the only one you'll find because that sums up what it means to serve God. It's not about me. Jesus said, I came through two things. I came to serve and die. 
Humility, number one character attribute in the Bible for any believer and anyone who's in any form of leadership in the church. If that person is not humble, they should not be in leadership. Now, what is false humility? False humility is it's more about you than it is about Jesus. Genuine humility is Jesus Christ, Lord of my life. Every area, I belong to him. I'm in love with him. I want you to see Christ in me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, what you see in me that's Christ-like, emulate. What you see in me that's sinful, ignore. Your goal is to be like Jesus, not like another human being. Now, through discipleship, hopefully Christians and leaders model Jesus Christ. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. You want to be like Christ. What he's saying about these mystics is that they had false humility, that it was about their ego, that it was about them. And you even see preachers that are like this today. Years ago, there was a preacher named Oral Roberts, University. And I don't know if it was in the 70s or the, or the early 80s, but Oral Roberts, he used to have a TV show was on all the time, and he, he wanted to raise a certain amount, how many dollars I forgot it was, to build this hospital. So he comes on the air and he said, God has given me a vision of this, I want to say 700-foot Jesus has appeared to me, and it said, if I don't raise this much money by this date, he's going to kill me. And it was about him. It's about the preacher. And, and so many times, these guys up here preaching, you, through faith, in your faith, you can tell God what he needs to do and he'll do it. No, what you do is surrender to Christ and Lord, what do you mean to do? It's never about me. It's always about me. The other thing is in your relationships. False humility is, I want you to be like me. Genuine humility is, I'm interested in you. How can I serve you? What can I do to help you? How can I reach out to you and share this Jesus Christ that I love with you? I want you to see it. I want you to know. I don't want you to be turned away by it. Several times Paul used phrase talks about you will not be able to use me as your excuse. In other words, Randy says that he's a Christian, but you're turned off by who Randy. I want you Christ, not jack what you see about Christ in me. False humility. Second thing is verse 18. Number one is I taking delight in false humility. Second is worship of angel or false worship. This was something that the context in which Paul writes, it plagued this Colossian church in this area for centuries that they were worshiping angels. In A.D. 739, 700 years after the life of Christ, they were still at this particular area worshiping Michael the archangel. Now, you study the Bible closely. Remember, if it contradicts the word of God, it's not of God. Clearly in the Bible, who alone is worthy of worship? God. One God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You notice the life of Christ in the gospel. He accepted worship. Why? Because he was God. And if you read throughout the New Testament in particular, but as you, and you see it throughout the Old Testament, God said, uh, the first of the Ten Commandments is, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You will have how many others? None. I will not accept you worshiping any other deity. At the end, and you read through Revelation. They get ready to open the books of judgment in Revelation, and they say, we cannot find anyone worthy to open the book. And who opens it? The Lamb. Who is that? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. That's Jesus Christ. But he is the Passover Lamb. So he, he is worthy because he is God. The message of the entire book of John this is God. Over and over, you see it throughout Scripture. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Christ, is the Messiah, is God. You worship him and him alone. So this idea here is false worship. They were worshiping angels. If you study, the, again, if you study the Bible, what are angels? Really fascinating. What are angels? They are created, spirit being created to minister to the saints. The saints, I mentioned that a few moments ago, who are they? You, if you're born again, you're a saint. The angels were created by God as messengers on God's behalf sent to, for, to us. 
You ever hear people say you die and you go to heaven and you become an angel? No, you don't. That's a step down. You will rule over them one day. They exist. They're around. God uses them on our behalf and his messenger. But you do not worship them. Why? Because they're not God. They were doing it then. People do it today. Next point, verse 18. Worship of angels intruding into those things which he has not seen. False teacher is talking about vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Had a false focus. Vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. It's one of the things they were doing. It's through the angels and in other ways they, they would say they were having these visions. That the universe was saturated with all these angels and that you had to placate them and that they were saying they were seeing these angels and visions and then they were saying to them, uh, sit again in verse 18, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. The idea of the word intruding is supposedly and the, they're seeing these false visions and they're saying but you need Jesus plus this mystic visions that we're having. The Greek there is you're intruding into this inner shrine that only you can only see in special visions. And so Paul is saying, this, you have to reject this. This is not biblical. Can God appear to you in a vision? You can. But they were saying, you've got to placate the angel. You've got to do this. God's primary way of communicating with them, God's primary way of communicating with you, the Word of God. Through the Word of God, surrender to it, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. These mystical religions were saying, you've got to have this as well. They would exalt themselves because we're having these visions, and you're not. You need to be like us. Ties it back in to the idea of false humility. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you read through the Bible, when people had true visions from God, they would always be humbled by that and just overwhelmed by the presence of God, not focus anything else at God. It'd be like in Regis quote, Job, I abhor myself and I repent. He saw a vision of God. Isaiah, he saw a vision of God. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter, you read about him in Acts, pardon me. I am a sinful man. And then in Revelation, John seeks the Christ, and he said, I fell at the feet of the risen Christ. It just is overwhelming to see a God in real vision. These guys were in making up. You need to be like me to follow this. Do is under project them back. Word of God. Stop looking something outside that's going to make you experience emotional high. When you get into the Word of God and surrender, you realize who you'll get emotional about it. I get emotional. Study it. Share it. Nothing wrong with that. If you're just seeking an emotion to make it spiritual, it won't last. What you want is relationship with Christ. Look at verse 19. You'll see their problems, and then we're going to stop here. Verse 19. The problem the mystics had. So they're vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. That's simply sin. Vainly puffed up. That's pride. The essence of sin being flesh is obviously sin. Now look at verse 19. Here's their problem. Not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows the increase that is from God. Not holding fast to the head. If you look at chapter 1 verse 18 of this book, it's Christ is preeminent. Preeminent overall. These guys are not holding fast. Who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. We are his body. If you cut the head off a body, how long does it live? It doesn't. It can't survive without it. What he's saying is they're not holding fast to the head, Jesus Christ. They're holding on to their own visions, their own false humility, their own false worship of all these other things, not worshiping Christ, not holding fast, not gripping him, looking for something else that he's not enough. And what I want you to take away from this as a believer is you're free to reject all that stuff because it's not in the Bible. Hang on to the person and reject what they are trying to. To add, to. notice how he says it in verse 19. All the body is nourished and knit together and grows the increase that is from God. If we're going to grow, we'll grow through the word of God, Jesus Christ. Not some mystic vision, experience. It's amazing how many people, I believe the Bible, isn't necessary. If you don't study the Bible, you'll not get faith. 
You might manage to make it through. If you really want to be what God wants you, you have to be. I gave it. It is eternal word of God. I've shared this many times. Close this. There are only two things in this life that you will experience, encounter, will see again after you die. Two things. One is other people. Two is the word of God. You're not taking money with you. You're not taking any of your possessions with you. So God, if, if the only thing that's eternal is the word of God, which it is, eternal word of God, Jesus is word, and other people, for us as believers, our focus find out what internalize it, apply it, let it change me, go out and live it, and hopefully in that process I share the truth, the gospel, truth do, to you free. Other people will be set free. They'll be born again. They'll understand what freedom is, and they will go share. Why has Jesus not come back yet? He's still setting people. But that point will, I will die one day. I don't know my day. I will die. And I will return it till that moment. What I want to do is share the gospel so they too can reject all the trapping. Just be what Do you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close today, we thank you for who Jesus Christ is. Lord, I pray we would understand the freedom not needing to add to Christ. We take him, we take his word, we learn it, apply it, we let it change us, make us more like Christ. And we reject anything that's not of God, it's not of Scripture. And then, Lord, we go out and live freely, sharing the gospel so that people will understand that's what it was, not what I thought it was. That's what it means. That's what it means. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being able to share Christ. And even as we close today, Father, we pray that you would use us, this community, and all the places that we go to share the freedom of Christ. We, I'm going to be down front. At, please stand.